Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is winning season at MyBookie. Use promo code GATERS on a deposit of $50 or more, and you can receive up to $200 in cash instantly to your MyBookie account. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on social media at GatorDave underscore SEC and at Gators Breakdown. Here we are on a Monday night with my co-host, Will Miles. You can find him at readandreaction.com on YouTube at Read and Reaction. At Will Miles SEC on X, Twitter, all that good stuff there. And Will, um, I mean, there's not a lot, there's not a lot to say. I mean, <laughs> for positive, yeah, no good feelings. I guess that that's probably the best way to put it. No, no good feelings coming coming out of the forty three twenty victory uh, uh, or loss to Georgia. And um, you're not. We haven't really talked all that. I mean, I was hungover as heck on Sunday, so uh, you know, it's just the, just the way it goes at the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. But uh, it was uh, it was it, it was funny. You, you picked Georgia. I picked Georgia. You kind of called it closer to what happened on the field. I thought Florida had a chance to cover there. Uh, well, man, that was just uh, another mismatch, Will. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where – so first off, I have a text message exchange from you that indicates you had a grand time before <laughs> before the actual game. So someday the Gators break that after dark, folks. Might get to see that. But They got me wanting to go through my phone. <laughs> I'm channeling my inner Dennis Green on this one. We are who we thought we were, right? That's really what it sort of boils down to is, you know, there are a lot of people who look at this and go recruiting, 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 and that's a big part of it. But a big part of it is, is that Florida's defense hasn't been good for a while now. And Georgia did everything that they wanted to against Florida's defense, but so did South Carolina. Vanderbilt did pretty well. Kentucky did everything they wanted against Florida's oh, defense. Oh, well, I'll be getting and, into this later and on. So, you, you know, the, the, the problem isn't, isn't that Georgia's that much better. It's that everyone has been better than Florida's defense so far. This is just a continuation of that trend, right? And, and the question coming in, I think I talked about the differentiation last week between the points they'd given up. They were like 40th in points allowed, but they were 95th in yards per play. Well, they give up 7.4 yards per play against Georgia, and now they're 112th in yards per play allowed this year against FBS opponents. They're, they're just bad on that side of the ball, and that's the reality is when your defense is that bad, you need a guy like Anthony Richardson to bail you out of some situations. Graham Mertz has played pretty well this year, but he is an AR in terms of explosivity. 
And look, it's not like AR did any better against Georgia last year. It's just that you've got the same defense on the field in terms of the overall statistics. So, you know, Carson Beck, Stetson Bennett, doesn't really matter. This Georgia team way too talented for all the mistakes Florida made and then c- combine that with the fact that they just aren't real good, especially on the defensive side of the ball, and you end up with a lopsided loss. Again, I mean, like you said, I picked three touchdowns as, as the spread in this one, so I'm not surprised that that's what happened. I think it just reinforces what we've seen coming into this, and the reason it's concerning is because of what's coming up on the horizon from an offensive perspective for some of the teams they are going to be playing. And so, you know, look, they're going to have to get the job done coming up this week against Arkansas because uh, there's there's some juggernaut offenses coming, and I don't know that there's a whole lot of relief. So um, I'm sure we'll get into all that stuff tonight. But to me, it like the the red flag in this one was the defense the whole time, and and they showed up and were exactly who the yards per play allowed would have indica- would have indicated rather than the points per game. And and those two numbers are getting closer and closer together as the season progresses. Yeah, so we'll get into you know we'll, we'll work in a little you know we won't harp on the Georgia game too much, but of course it will come up and kind of the theme of the episode we will ask questions moving forward. Of course, we could have done this during the bye week as well, but we did want this one more data point, and uh, you know we'll, we'll get into it just a bit, uh, and we'll get a little bit of Arkansas talk as well uh, before we sign off on this episode of Gators Breakdown. So everybody, like this video right here on the YouTube version that goes a long way. Subscribe on, right here on YouTube as well to Gators Breakdown if you haven't done so yet. Your favorite podcast platform out there as well. Check out GatorsBreakdown.com. Got the transcript of Billy Napier's press conference today. The latest scheming with Seth where he breaks down the fourth down trick play call there for the Gators. Um, hey, that was a that's the play we've seen around college football. Seth found and the NFL, by the way. So Seth found some really good highlights there of other teams using that trick play and what Florida was, you know, trying to do run yeah. just like that. Uh, similarly, but no, not just like that. <laughs> All right, put it this way: with a lot more success, I will say that. So, <laughs> uh, not not the way it looked on Saturday, uh, right there for, for for the Gators versus Georgia. So. You can check all that out at GatorsBreakdown.com. Of course, Gators Breakdown Plus as well. Link is in the description. Ad-free episodes, extra episodes, chats there in the Gators Breakdown Plus Discord. So, um, all right, well, let's get to it just a bit, and we'll move forward some. But, you know, we've I've seen this message a lot, and, of course, I, I, I would say it too either on social media in the discord or just talking to fans in general is, Hey, don't let Georgia beat you twice. And I'd like to extend that to kind of the messaging that I had last week is, you know, don't let the Georgia game ultimately determine your thoughts on this team. (laughs) So, you know, it can certainly be a barometer, but Hey, look, it remains to be seen in some ways. I think there, there wasn't progress made towards Georgia, but there can be progress shown the rest of the way. Uh, kind of going to your point, Will, where, hey, these next four weeks are going to tell us a whole lot more, I think, than last Saturday did. So, well, I was a lot more optimistic going into the game than you were, but I did caution myself that, you know, a blowout here doesn't really tell me much for the rest of the season. Um, it's very similar to last season in some way, Will. Similar final score, not a match for Georgia. Florida did recover put two of their best performances together against Texas A&M and South Carolina before the collapse at you know, Vanderbilt and then, and then Florida State to end the season. So there was a pretty good bounce back last year. So, you know, I will ultimately, and I hope some out there to judge this team more in a must-win game versus Arkansas, then see how they finish versus LSU, Missouri, and FSU. I know it looks pretty bleak right now, kind of going to your point, going against those offenses and what we've seen from this defense for those last three games, but it is a much parameter 
much better barometer overall than what we saw against Georgia. Yeah, I think it depends on your expectations. So I think a decent finish would be one and three. You're bowl eligible. I think we'd say a good finish is two and two, given Mm -hmm. who's left. And an awesome finish would be three and one. And so, you know, you lose the game to Arkansas, you better be able able to win a couple of those games after that. Screw it. Four four and oh, baby. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Four and oh. Um, I'm not going to be predicting that. but uh, yeah, look, there's some difficult games on the horizon, and there's no doubt about that. But part of the beauty of playing in the SEC, it's not like it gets any easier next year, right? Like it's not like it gets any easier with Oklahoma and Texas coming in the conference. And so the SEC is just a juggernaut, and that's one of the reasons why we harp on recruiting. It's one of the reasons why we spend so much time talking about the things that are off the field that impact what happens when you get between those lines. And there's no shame in losing to Georgia. There's not. Georgia's won 25 straight games. They're the two-time defending national champions. They're the number one team in the country. Maybe they're not quite the team they were last year or two years ago, but they're still a really, really good team and a benchmark in college football. And there are a lot of teams that have gone out there and gotten absolutely waxed by Georgia, including in the national championship game last year, an undefeated TCU team. So it's not as though good teams, and good, not great. It's not as though good teams haven't gone out and gotten waxed by Georgia. I think that's what you mean by saying don't let Georgia or don't let don't let Georgia beat you twice, right? Is that just because you got waxed by Georgia doesn't mean that you're not a good team, but now you gotta go out and show it. Yep. Right. So Florida showed a lot of resilience in that second half against South Carolina. They showed that they were able to go out and get a win over Vanderbilt after the loss to Kentucky. But they haven't been real good at showing resilience in the games when things have sort of gone in the wrong direction, right? Kentucky just hit them in the mouth, and it just sort of stayed that way. Utah hit them in the mouth on the first play, kind of stayed that way. Georgia came out even after the opening touchdown to Trey Wilson, comes out, hits them in the mouth with a couple of quick drives, a couple of turnovers, and all of a sudden they're off to the races as well. At some point, they're going to have to figure out how to stem that tide. That's kind of what I'm hoping to see in the last four games is an ability to take a shot and stay on your feet as opposed to taking a shot and getting knocked out. And the three losses this year, they've taken a shot and gotten knocked out. And that's going to be the question to me is not, are they going to take a shot? Because they're going to. They're going to give up points. They're going to give up some big plays. Um, They're going to struggle at certain times against some of these teams. The question is going to be, can they get back up off the mat and show us the resiliency that they showed us against South Carolina? And if they do that and they go one and three, Okay, I think that's acceptable. It's not great, but it's acceptable. And if they do that and do that well and they go two and two, I think we need to say, all right, seven and five before the year with a win over LSU, Missouri, the way they're playing, or FSU to end the season. I think we all would have taken that to start the year. So again, okay. it's it's a question of at five and two, your expectations are sitting there. You start <laughs> thinking about, well, if they if they just get lucky and they get a bunch of turnovers, and they're able to take out Jordan. Now you're first in the SEC East. All that stuff gets dashed. Your expectations come way down, um, but your expectations were probably beyond where they needed to be to begin with. I go back to what we said at the beginning of the year, which was 7-5 and five was going to be a good a good year for this team. There's a reason why Vegas had them at 5.5 in the over-under. It was that they kind of saw this coming, right, that this was kind of where Florida would be, and if they were – you know, look, if they hadn't pulled off that game against South Carolina, we'd be mm-hmm. <laughs> like the fan base at least would be like, the sky's falling, the sky's falling. And in many ways, maybe they'd be right. But I think at the end of the day, we're we're at a place where we probably should expect to be. And the question now is can Napier push beyond where those expectations are for the rest of the year and maybe finish off on a good note, maybe in the way Dan Mullen did back in 2018, as opposed to what happened last year in the last <laughs> couple of games of the year. I guess that brings up a good point, Will. Should you really feel different about this team than you felt a week ago? So I feel I feel like they have verified who they are, 
Yeah, that, that was that was sort of that's what. A good, this that's a good, did. Hey, that's a really good way of putting it. I mean, you may have questioned what you thought about this team going in, but yeah, maybe the Georgia game verified it for you. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's confirmed that some of the holes are holes. It's confirmed that some of the issues are issues, and it's confirmed that some of the guys who really are good are really good, right? Like I think that Georgia game, I come away from that going, Trey Wilson's a weapon. <laughs> yeah, and however they figure out how to get him the ball in the next four games, like Trey Wilson is a weapon, and we've confirmed that. And you know, he had sort of some nine yard, ten yard plays where you're like, wow, if they can just get him out in the open field, if they can get him running a little bit, and and get him out there with a little bit of space, like it looks like he could do this it looks well, like he could be a real difference many, maker yeah and you're also not gonna play many more defenses that can scheme to take him away like that sure. i mean they were punched georgia was punching the mouth all right you know wait we're not we're not that ain't happening again <laughs> they, they made sure it didn't <laughs> and they took him away and that, yeah. well and, and, but that's the other thing you learn right is that yeah. who, who's the receiver who's gonna step up right and until it got ugly at the end ricky pearsall got shut down pretty much too in the first in the first three quarters and so um yeah i think we learned a lot i think that it was a tough lesson to learn some of those things I think we learned that the special teams holes probably still there, at least a few of them. And, oh, uh, man. I thought you know, we were so past that. I thought we yeah. were so past that. Um, well, again, I mean, they didn't really block anybody up front all day long that well. So <laughs> should we be surprised they didn't no. block the punt well either? No. So, um, look, this is just a team that's going to make three, four, five mistakes a game. Yeah. And the hope is, is that the home games that they have coming up against Arkansas, against Florida State, where they haven't made those three, four, five mistakes a game, or at least haven't made them in a killer fashion, that maybe those home games give them an advantage that they just haven't had when they've gone away from the swamp because they keep cropping up every time they leave home. And that's maybe the other thing that we learned is that this team is going to struggle when they're on the road. And so that LSU game, that Missouri game, eh, maybe make a couple of bucks looking at, mm. how the sp- looking at what the spread looks like. Mm. Uh, yeah, so that definitely means, as you said, Will, Florida's got to play good this week. Arkansas at home. We'll get into more Arkansas talk. But hey, uh, Billy Napier was asked about progress. Uh, the question was, two-thirds of the way through this season, how would you evaluate the progress you've made through the first eight games compared to the progress you made last year? Yeah, I think the biggest difference would be the uh, makeup of our roster you know, relative to who's gaining experience, who's been productive, um, the leadership that we see at the player level, uh, the level of discipline uh, that we observe every day, um, the camaraderie, the chemistry of the group. Um, And look, I think the football's improved in a lot of areas on our team. I mean, there's areas where we've gotten better. There's still areas where we need to play with more consistency. yeah, just overall, I think we're operating at a little bit more efficient rate. I think there's good processes in place. Um, we're getting better at what we do. Um, we haven't necessarily got the results we wanted a couple times this year, but I do think that uh, there's improvement in the big big picture. Improvement in the big picture, Will. And, you know, we'll see what that means for the last four games of the season, but – uh, you know, you did bring up the, the guys that are getting experience. This is a young team. We see the young guys all over the field. You know, I still wish we could see some better production from some of the veterans out there to help carry these young guys, uh, you know, help carry those young guys along. Uh, but, you know, this is a young team. There they are, hopefully gaining experience that will pay off to end the season, pay off next year as well. Uh, but that you know, probably is the biggest takeaway is when you talk to other Gator fans, when you talk to you know even national pundits, they realize how young this team is. 
Uh, but man, it's still, you know, uh, I guess stings in some ways to have to go through the growing pains of it all. Yeah, the team's young. I think we saw that in 2007 with that team in between the 2006 and 2008 championships. When you get a lot of youth on the defensive side of the ball, even if they're really, really talented, you can still struggle at times. Um, again, I think the Georgia game isn't necessarily a barometer to, to talk about those guys struggling because there they really are outmatched physically, right? Especially yeah. up front. You could tell that Florida was outmatched. I think the, the concern or maybe the thing we want to look for as we move forward is that teams like Arkansas have struggled up front all year long. If you're all still year. getting dominated there, then we have different problems because now it's not an out talented. Now it's not even a team that happens to be like outplaying their expectations this year for their talent. And I think you could say that that's sort of Kentucky, right? Kentucky always kind of plays above their talent level, at least a little bit. Um, it's not something like that. It's just a team that's been crappy all year long. And if they yeah. push Florida, if they push Florida around, then that says something else about the team than than uh, than it, than if Florida is able to dominate up front or at least able to hold its own. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't want to hear. Well, Sam Pittman's offensive line guru, their offensive line stinks this year. It's it awful bad. this it year. Terrible. Awful. They're giving up three point nine sacks per game. <laughs> yeah. They're giving up something like nine tackles for loss per game. And uh, Florida has struggled in that category all year long. I mean, you know, we always, the, the over-under episode we do before the year, it's always like 33, 34 sacks we pick out. What's Florida got, 11, something like that? I think it's all year long. 11 or 12, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, they're getting, le- they're getting you know, less than two sacks a game. And beyond that, they're not getting a whole lot of pressure on the quarterback. And you think about it, the, the two main turnovers that they've had that have really sort of flipped games, the interception of Rattler was something where they got pressure up the middle. The yep. interception off of Milton, again, pressure up the middle. That's a place they just haven't been getting pressure up the middle at all, all year long. And, I mean, Carson Beck could have t- gone to the dry cleaners while he was back there a couple of times. Yeah. Go pick up groceries while he was waiting to find this guy who was open. And, look, you can criticize the secondary. You can criticize some of the two-hand touch stuff that was going on after the guys caught the ball. But, you know, no, I you, did. If they, but, if there, but if there's no pressure at all, there's – like, I, for people – when you go to a live college football game, this is this is actually the fundamental reason why I harp so heavily on completion percentage in coordination with yards per attempt. But high school to, to college, the reason I harp on that so much is you go to any high school game and any college game, there is always a guy running free. Always. Because if you do things right, the defenses don't have enough time to really prepare. And you're going to figure out a way to get a guy come up to get a guy to come open. So the question then becomes, is the quarterback able to find him? And what you're seeing right now with Arkansas is KJ Jefferson doesn't have time to find the guy. And now his stats look pedestrian. And when you look at Graham Mertz in that game the other day, didn't have time to find anybody. And even when he did have some guys open, he didn't really pull the trigger every every time. Um, and then and then and then on the Georgia side, Carson Beck just sits back there and orders a pizza while he's while he's waiting for his guy to come open. The guy's gonna be open. Now that doesn't mean the secondary shouldn't do his job. That doesn't mean that there shouldn't be uh, more effort and more uh, and and less uh, less open guys on the back end. But you know, if you get no pressure, that's where it all starts. And that's one of the things I think um, overall. When you think about the young guys that we'd like that I'd like to see hit the field, it'd be the guys who potentially are going to be the guys who pressure the quarterback over the next couple of years. And if that means that somebody with more experience has to sit down, then that's what it means. Yeah, and kind of going to that point too, especially for offense. And I said that's why I said, you know, the barometer for this team, you know, against Georgia, we're probably not going to see a whole lot, you know. And look, we did see Wilson going to your point beginning of the game, but you know, we didn't get to see much of Boardingham uh, there. You know, ETM was kind of limited as well. You know, your first, second year players here. Um, you know, it was um, 
you know, kind of, I guess, reality check that, yeah, these guys are good, but when they're going up and going up against the nation's best, all right, well, you know, it, the, the production is probably, uh, but probably not going to be there as young and as talented as they are. And I think we still can be excited for the future with those guys. Uh, right now was kind of a, a reality check that just not ready yet uh, for all those young guys. So, yeah, they, Florida's relying on a lot of them, um, and they need to. Well, I, th- I think we know that at the same time. But I guess, you know, the harsh reality of you got to take your lumps to go along with it. And I guess against Georgia, you're going to take them. Yeah, I mean, so I think they – so I think Napier talked about wanting to see how they responded from the Utah loss. And then they came back and they responded pretty well against McNeese and Tennessee and Charlotte. And then they they lay an egg against Kentucky. And then he wanted to see how they came back and did that. And against Vanderbilt and South Carolina, they came back okay, responded that okay. Now I think it's the same thing. You just played the number one team in the country and completely got your butt whipped. So if anybody in there was had any, you know, if that group has a sense of humility, they're going to come back ready to work this week because that's where they want to go. Right, that's where they want to get to, and there are a lot of people who may have gone out there saying, "Hey, you know, how much better could they be than Utah? How much better could they be than Kentucky?" And one of the things that these young guys don't have the experience of is getting their butt kicked by Georgia the last couple of years because they haven't necessarily been here, right? And so, um, and with all the upperclassmen who've left, there aren't a lot of guys who've taken that personally yet. And that's maybe one of the growth opportunities from this. And look, I, I hate that it takes a loss to Georgia yeah, yeah. in order to do that. <laughs> but maybe this is a growth opportunity where you look at it, you go, all right, Kentucky, eh, I was on the road. It was an early game. Like, we weren't really up for it. We weren't ready to play. You sort of heard that after the game, right? I mean, I think, I think was it Shamar James who Shamar said James. that they, yep. they weren't really ready to play. The Utah game, clearly they weren't ready to play. But it's, eh, it's all the way across the country. It's the first game of the year. Like, you know, blah, blah, blah. This you one to, you had, had a bye week had to prepare. Had the travel plans that messed yeah. up the day before. Yeah, we, we heard it all. This one you had a bye week to prepare. You were in front of a lot of your hometown fans because this is in Jacksonville. And now you're going to get to hear about it all week long from all the fans in Gainesville um, in, in terms of in terms of them being tired of losing to Georgia. And, you know, you couldn't even make it close. How'd you lose by 23 points? All that sort of stuff. You know, maybe this maybe that's what they need. Right. Sometimes it just takes some a specific thing for stuff to click. Maybe that's what it is. That's at least me looking at the bright side. I mean, the, the downside would be everything falls apart. The people start pointing fingers and that hasn't happened yet. We haven't seen any of that yeah, after, I don't think after so. games that sort of stuff. And so that's good to see, right? That is a cultural improvement. Um, there was some fi- there was some finger pointing you could sort of tell after the South Carolina game um, in the in the Dan Mullen era there towards the end. And and things started to fall apart. They lost the Missouri game and then, you know, pretty ineffective against Florida State in that year as well. So, um, you know, that, that's the question, right? You're going to go up, you're going to go down based on what you see. And, uh, you know, there could be some finger pointing given what the defense is putting on film so far. And we haven't seen that yet, so that's a good sign. Yeah, we'll get into that. Um there a second with some of the questions that we have uh, for the Gators to finish out this season. Before we get there, hey, when your money's on the line, choose a trusted sports book that gives you the tools to win, like my bookie. At my bookie, it doesn't matter if your team is up or down. You can easily cash out or bet the game live to come out on the winning side. Use my bookie for daily odds boost, same game parlays, and take advantage of huge prize pool contests. Plus, my bookie has a no strings attached cash bonus that lets you deposit and withdraw quick. Just use promo code GATORS on your first deposit and receive up to $200 in cash. That's promo code GATORS to claim your own cash bonus right now. Try the MyBookie money bag to grab a potential Super Bowl front runner at long shot odds. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. 
Uh, well, let's uh, let's go back to this defense and a little bit of research done today. And hey, it, it, it's it's not pretty. It's not pretty right now uh, for, for for this defense. Pretty good start to the season, but once we got into conference play, will well, you had the performance versus Tennessee, and I think that put us at a certain level where we thought this this defense had found themselves. Uh, but has since then, not so great. So. Well, what we got right here, just the basic metrics of yards per game and yards per play. Right now, in SEC play, the Gators are giving up 416 yards per game. 6.9 yard average. In 2022, it is very similar. Gators are only about 7 yards better. 423 yards a game last year. Actually, Will, going to the point that you made all along about this Austin Armstrong offense of giving up big plays. Well, yeah, they're giving up bigger plays this year. Actually giving up 6.9 this year, 6.2 last year. So it is worse in that regard. Well, I mean, what this shows us in conference play, where it really matters for Florida is, you know, it's very similar to what we saw last year. So, you know, it's only a couple of metrics, but yikes. And especially after the great start that we saw versus Tennessee and not being able to build on it, uh, not being able to, um, you know, really use that as a launching point for this defense um, does not does, does not speak well to the direction uh, of Austin Armstrong's defense right now. Will right here, this 416 yard per game total in SEC play would rank tenth in the SEC. That is astonishing. I didn't I, look. I, I knew it was getting worse. I didn't know it was this bad until I started looking up numbers and comparing where other teams are in the SEC. Uh, but I just, you know, 10th best in conference play right now when you look at yards per game. Uh, so, you know, we'll see, you know, it, you know, as I said, I've cautioned myself against, you know, hopefully they did find something during the bye week. Yeah. This look, this isn't just a reaction to the Georgia game because there's hardly been any havoc whatsoever this year. No pressure, no sacks, no tackles for loss. Uh, and in turn, no, hardly no turnovers uh, with that. Going to your point there, Will, I mean, when they have you know the two biggest turnovers this year were because Florida was creating havoc. Florida was getting pressure uh, in, in the backfield. But, look, there's not enough of that. It was a focus during the bye week, but definitely wasn't there against a Georgia offensive line that's blocked everyone so well. So, you know, if there is more to this Florida defensive front, we need to see it against Arkansas, that offensive line. Um, you know, that contributes. They're 123rd in sacks allowed this year <laughs> with 31 uh, on the season. As you said, we'll give up about four sacks a game. Some of that is on KJ Jefferson, but either way, hey, we know we, we have a barometer right here. They're giving up four sacks a game. You got to go out there and show something on defense this week. Well, I want to put that 6.9 yards per play into perspective. If that was an offensive team, that's Florida State. Florida State is averaging 6.9 yards per play this year. So Florida has turned every one of its SEC opponents into Florida State's offense. Ever, ever, and that's the seventh-ranked offense in the country against Ooh. FBS opponents in yards per play. That's a problem. And, you know, I think we glossed over it or I think we missed it a little bit because of the McNeese State and the Charlotte games. But they gave up 5.1 yards per play against Utah, against Utah's backup quarterback. Uh, 
then 2.8 versus McNeese. And McNeese is probably ranked in like the 200s overall of football programs in the country. They gave up 6.0 yards per play to Tennessee. So it was already creeping up. They gave up some big plays in that game to the Vols. Now they were able to turn them over real early in the game, get up on them, and the big plays didn't kill them towards the end. But still, a lot of yards that were given up in that one. Then 3.9 against Charlotte. Again, Charlotte's probably in the 110 to 120 of the overall FPI. Then 7.2 to Kentucky, 6.5 to Vanderbilt. In fact, they they got they got outgained on a yards per play basis by Vanderbilt, which is hard to do. South Carolina did the same thing, 7.4 yards per, per play for South Carolina and 7.4 for Georgia. So Basically, the last four opponents that the Gators have faced, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, South Carolina, and Georgia, have been the equivalent of the number one offense in the country. (laughs) So it's like they're playing Oregon every week is what it looks like in terms of who they're playing. It's hideous. And the reason you're using yards per play, the reason I use yards per play, is if you plot yards per play versus scoring year over year over year, it really correlates with points scored. And so they've actually gotten pretty lucky. You think about the timeout that they didn't get called against Georgia on that first drive that ends up being a field goal, even though they were completely discombobulated. Like they've gotten kind of lucky in the red zone and they haven't given up as many points as we might have expected. This could be a lot worse if they'd given up, like they should have, based on yards per play, given up about 30 points against Kentucky or against Tennessee. They didn't because they got some good luck with a couple of things. They got a couple fourth down stops. They got, you know, Tennessee sort of drove the whole field and then they got the fourth down stops, those sorts of things. It, it's just been hideous. And well, I think it's been all year. I don't think it's just been the last couple of games. You, uh, you you popped it in my head when you were going through the teams there and what they were gaining on Florida. Since Vanderbilt has started conference play, their 6.5-yard average against Florida is their highest in conference play. <laughs> we're making Vanderbilt look like Oregon. 4.4 versus Kentucky, 5.9 versus Missouri, 6.5 versus Florida, five versus Georgia, and then 3.6 against Ole Miss this past week. Well. Wow. I didn't see. There we go. We're going down a rabbit hole here live on the the episode. And just, I think it's it's a little disheartening because we were hoping, you know, hoping in in year two of the same system that you would see some improvement. But once we've gotten into conference play, the improvement, it really, it, it really hasn't been there. I mean, we can't hide behind this fact anymore. There's there's enough data now. There's enough games being played. I hope they figured out something during the bye week and Georgia was just another bad matchup, but like, it's not just a Georgia game. So I, I remember writing that I disliked the Austin Armstrong <laughs> hire with the heat of a thousand suns. And, and the reason I wrote it is because of his propensity to give up big plays. And the defense all year long has been really susceptible to that sort of stuff. And the offset, the reason his defense improved so much from year one to year two at Southern Miss is because they started to get pressure, but they were still giving up a ton of big plays. That's the opposite of the way Georgia plays defense where Georgia just sits there and almost never gives up explosives, though they were more susceptible to it against Florida than they normally are. But Georgia doesn't get all these tackles in the back. They don't rely on pressure to stop people. They just, you're always in third and eight. Because because they don't get you give you anything, and one of them, you know, Nick Newson texted me when this happened. One of the most telling moments was I think it was fourth and three. Merch threw the ball out to Trey Wilson out in the flat, 
and he got brought down, or maybe it was ETN on the flight. I can't remember, but he got brought down by George's linebacker. And the linebacker, like there was never a doubt the linebacker was going to make the tackle. And that right there exemplifies how Georgia plays defense, which is you throw the ball out in the flat. The linebacker knows where he's supposed to be. He gets out there. He makes a perfect open field tackle, doesn't give you the first down. When's the last, and this was at Nick next to me. He's like, when's the last time you saw that from a Florida defense? And the answer is it's been a really long time. And so those fundamental things are things that haven't necessarily shown up on the tape yet. Um, at Southern Miss for uh, for Austin Armstrong or here at Florida as well. That doesn't mean he can't get there. That doesn't mean that he's not doing a lot of the same things. And certainly the talent at, at Georgia is better than the talent at Florida. But look, fl- the talent on the defensive side of the ball for Florida should be better than the 112th best defense in the country. That's just the reality. And last year we sat there and looked at Patrick Tony, and I remember saying, I get that there's some stuff he needs to fix from Todd Grantham and they've got some of these veterans who have bad habits and all that sort of stuff, but the habits should be improving throughout the year or you got to bring in the young guys to, to see what they can do. We should see improvement throughout the year. I'd say the same thing about Austin Armstrong. I think it's a fair assessment. You came in, you had these guys, they should be getting better as the year progresses. We're not seeing that yet. We'll see. You got four more, right? I think you evaluate all this stuff at the end of the year, just like you evaluate Napier, you evaluate special teams, you evaluate the overall record. I think the same thing for Austin Armstrong. But as of right now, he is who we thought he was, right? It's it's the Dennis Green stuff that I started with. Um, you know, the, the expectation that I had was we were going to give up a big, lot of big plays. I just had the expectation they'd actually get to the quarterback, and they haven't done that either, which means yeah. if you're blitzing all the time and you're not getting to the quarterback, you're exposed on the back end, and every time they're exposed, it doesn't just turn into a 20-yard play. It turns into an 80-yard play. They've given up a ton of just huge plays. And today, Napier, during the press conference, was asked about TJ Searcy chasing down somebody after a 60-yard gain. What's a defensive lineman doing 60 yards downfield chasing somebody down? That thing's that needs to be a corner who's catching that guy downfield. And uh, you know, the bigger well, problem is the guy was 50 yards downfield. There, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. That was it there. That's where I was going with it. Um I was listening and researching at the same time, Will. So far, Kentucky's high in SEC play is against Florida's defense. South Carolina's high in SEC play is against Florida's defense. Georgia is second only to their performance versus Kentucky. Uh, and I'm about to look up Tennessee right quick, even though so, it was it, it was a loss. So, so really, this is the Oprah Winfrey meme. It's like, you get a car, you get a car, yeah. you get a car. Hey, look, I'm not even, I wasn't even trying to pile on. Pile on wasn't even in my plans here, but we have went down a rabbit hole here, and it just keeps getting worse. It's hideous. It's just hideous. Uh, let's see. Tennessee, this is the last school here. So they six yards... Yes, definitely. Yeah, definitely not. Uh, 7.8, well, it had 6.6 versus South Carolina and 7.1 versus Kentucky. So, okay, Florida's defense, third best there. We so, found one. We found one. We found one. So, yeah, as bad as Tennessee's yeah, offense is, it's still, uh, at least in conference play, still pretty good for the Florida defense there. But there we go. We can go back and say, well, it was certainly a mirage uh, of what that defense was able to do. And, and Joe Milton still very inconsistent as a passer. Tennessee um, didn't run the ball well until the second half of that game, if I remember right. They, they are more of a running team anyway. Uh, they ran pretty well in the second half. Uh, but, you know, as you said, Florida got up so big in the first half, it didn't really matter. Well, but Dave, here's the thing. Six yards per play is still bad. Oh yeah, don't give me it's, all it's, not, it's not. Yeah. I mean, no, it's not like, oh my God, you're the worst defense in the country, bad, but it's bad. Like you're talking probably like what 
80th, 90th in the country, yeah. giving up six yards per play. So we're sitting there going, woohoo, Tennessee. We weren't the worst against Tennessee, but it's still bad. And, th- and that, again, to me is sort of the, the, the theme of the season when you subtract McNeese and you subtract Charlotte. Now, why it's bad is a completely different answer. And there's probably a lot of diagnosis that needs to go on there. But, you know, there was a lot of criticism, I think, of Napier going forward on fourth down. I think there's probably some valid criticism for the play call um, and even more criticism for the officials who overturned that that spot. But the fact that he was, you know, any criticism of going forward on fourth, like if he punted away, it was going to be a touchdown anyway. So why not go for it? I mean, you know, the, the short field, do you want to make it easier for Georgia? No, but but punting it almost just meant you were you were down 17 to 7 anyway. So why not go for it? Try to keep it going and essentially run the Tennessee plan from last year, right? Last year mm-hmm. they turned the ball over in their own in their own zone a couple of times on fourth down, I think, in that game specifically, or at least they went for it a lot on fourth down or something like what, like five out of six or something on fourth down. Yeah. Um and you know there was a lot of criticism by the CBS crew there for him going for it being ultra aggressive. And I think he sort of saw that in this one too. Said I'm not going to be able to stop the ball on on the defensive side of the ball. So I better make sure I get everything out of every drive. And obviously that one didn't work. And so everybody's going to look at it and criticize. But I still think fundamentally from what he was trying to do, that was probably the right call. Yeah. So I mean we talk about questions moving forward. Can the defense find something? Can they find their way? Hopefully, as I said, they found something during the bye week. They can at least get by on. Uh, you probably weren't going to see it versus Georgia. Maybe you could see it moving forward, especially this week versus Arkansas, the weakest opponent you're going to play uh, coming up. But you got three good offenses after that. Got to take advantage this week. That was my big question. That, that's my big question. Once I dove in and found out stats and just how bad it was for this Florida defense right now, that became my biggest question. Uh, one, and not necessarily a shot at him because he has been injured, uh, but kind of going back to the Tennessee game, we saw the explosiveness. Can we get Travis or Trevor Etienne going? Uh, that's probably, I think, something I'll look for in this offense as we move forward to finish this season up. We know how explosive he is, but he's been dealing with a shoulder injury. Uh, we could tell in the um, you know in the previous game, the South Carolina game, where he didn't really want to take on a lot of contact, was running out of bounds. Definitely not like him, but you know, at the time, kind of going, we, we knew he missed some time as well. He came back for that game. You could tell he wasn't 100 percent right uh, there. But will you know one big thing? If he wants to get on the field more, he talked he talked about it all off season. Was he himself has got to progress as a pass blocker. We'd known that was an issue anyway, uh, and maybe why Montreal Johnson had been on the field more than probably some wanted him to be, uh, but that was exacerbated. It was highlighted times 100 versus Georgia, just how ineffective a pass blocker ETN is. So hopefully, you know, and part of him being injured, I think can play a part in that as well. So first of all, hopefully he's injured, but can Florida find a way to get ETN going? Because I think in these shootouts, you're probably going to find yourself in to end this season. He is one weapon that you want to have, whether it be somehow catching passes out of the backfield, whether it be him hitting those big runs like he did versus Tennessee and last year versus South Carolina. I think you know Florida needs to find another consistent weapon. And so far this season, he hasn't been a consistent weapon. No, I think if you're going to uh, – if you go look at the tape on the touchdown pass to Trey Wilson, ETN was in there for a block and missed it as well. Merch just got the ball out quick. 
And on the other one that you're probably thinking of, they pointed out on the telecast that ETN sort of laid the block on a cr- on a cross match on a blitz. Um, and uh, on that one, Mertz actually had Wilson open again and didn't let the ball go. And so all of a sudden it turns into a sack. And, and you know, can, do you fault the quarterback for not letting it go every time? No, he's got to, yeah. you know, the running back has to pick up the block too. At the same time, if your offensive line struggling, if you're running back struggling to pick up the, pick up the blitz, you got to have, you got to be able to let the ball go. You got to let that, you got to help out those guys and pick everybody up. I think that's sort of maybe the theme of everything when it comes to this team is that they need somebody to pick up when someone else pick up the guy who makes a mistake. Right. And, and I would even say this from the coaching staff. So like, if you think about my questions specifically, um, why aren't they chipping the defensive end to help Damian George? Like it's clear he's struggling, but I don't blame him for not being physically able to handle a defensive end for Georgia, but get somebody out there to chip him a tight end, a running back, whoever it is, chip the guy on the outside. You know that you got two weeks coming in knowing that George is going to struggle off the end. Instead, they just decided to give up two strip sacks and you know had the five blockers in all the time. They're motioning out the running back into a route where, honestly, that running back really isn't threatening the mm. defense in a way where it makes you – where it makes the de- – it's not stretching the defense in a way that really makes – that really threatens them. So it's lead the, the guy it's not, in. It's not the wheel routes we love. <laughs> no, well, that's what I was calling for before the game. We didn't see any of that, um, but not that they would have had time to throw those yeah, wheel correct, routes anyway. Correct. Which is which is one of the other, which is the reason you leave the guy in, right? So that was one of my questions: is why are we not chipping the defensive ends? Help out Damian George, slow down that defensive end, or at least make him stay on the inside where George can use his size and make the defensive end have to bull rush because he can't get around that edge. Okay, that's maybe the first thing, and then the second thing is why Trey Wilson only get one play in the backfield. They did it in the opening in the opening drive. It was a third down. I think it was third down and nine, and they had him back in the backfield. And essentially, he ran the route that the tight end usually runs coming mm. across the coming across the formation, wide open. Get it to him. Ten yard gain. First down. That drive keeps going. That was the Trey Wilson Trey Wilson drive. But they never put him back there again. And putting him back there or stacking the receivers in a specific location where you've got Wilson off the line of scrimmage, doing a bunch of different things to force the defense to declare what they're going to do. And if you're smart and you put him in the backfield, maybe even get him matched up on a linebacker, which is what they did in the on that play specifically. Is he had a linebacker chasing after him, which is why he got around the corner and why he got the first down. So we can make comments about Georgia coming back to the sideline saying, we're not going to let that guy do that again. But we also have to make the same comment on the Florida side where they didn't put him in the backfield again. And they didn't match him up against the linebacker. And again, coming into this game, the only thing I saw on film in terms of how do you take advantage of Georgia's defense was get a guy in the backfield on the linebacker. And in that one-on-one matchup, that guy can win. It happened last year. Ohio State did it. They brought a wide receiver back into the backfield and then ran him straight down the middle of the field against a linebacker. He hit a huge play in that, what was it, Sugar Bowl, whatever it was, for the for the Peach Bowl, for the, for the national semifinal. Got a cheap touchdown out of it because they moved a wide receiver to the backfield and had him on the linebacker and just just outran him down the field. They didn't do that enough. So I think those are sort of the two things schematically on the offensive side of the ball. Help out your right tackle. Don't just leave him out there and allow everybody to pick him apart after the game. Like go out there and help him out. And then, you know, again, Trey Wilson, move him around. Free him up. He shouldn't just be lined up on the left side, get a get a screen pass every once in a while, and then make him make him make the play. Instead, let's put him in a position where Mertz makes an easy throw, where he's on a linebacker, and you can do something that's maybe a little bit more significant from there. 
Yeah, I do wonder how the game played out. Uh, maybe took some of that game plan out. I mean, I, I'm, I'm probably reaching and grasping at straws here. I, I'm like you. I do hope they are finding ways to give Wilson the ball. I think this offense is going to need that. I was talking about ETN getting the ball. I mean, look. Well, I, Just pitch it to him. Exactly. With the way this defense is playing and who you have on the schedule, Florida's going to need 40 points in pro- at least two of the game, at least at least two of the games, if not more. So, Etn Wilson Johnson Pearson. I mean, you're going to have to come up with a lot of ways to get your playmakers the ball. Uh, as I said, maybe the maybe the way Georgia punched you in the mouth and you kind of just fell over yourself in the second quarter. Maybe we didn't see a whole lot of the game plan they had planned there, and the game plans we'll see the rest of the year. Uh, but yeah, I absolutely will. I completely agree with you. Against the best defense in the country, or one of the best defenses in the country, we saw what he can do. Uh, he is absolutely going to. I mean, look, he had 11 touches in the game, <laughs> so it's not like he didn't get some. But I mean, there's a there's an argument there to give him even more. There's a different. So I'm not even talking about the volume. Yeah, I'm talking about the quality. The first five touches he had were extraordinarily quality touches. Right, moving him into the backfield, having him run a slant when you kind of knew on film what Georgia was going to do on those specific plays. The little the little flare screen that they threw out to him that didn't go anywhere, but still sort of put the fear of God into Georgia, and they kind of knew what was you know they knew that was coming. Like they moved him in a bunch of different spots and got him the ball in each of those different spots, and then show me where they were creative in getting him the ball outside of that opening drive. Yeah. Right. It's the same thing. You got the you got the defensive end going right around George like a turnstile. Like George, adjust, does he adjust, need to do adjust, better? Adjust. Absolutely. Yeah, but how adjust. do we help him? Yep. What adjust. do we do to help him? Yep. And if you're not going to help him, now I do think it's fair to sit there and say, all right, like it's the coach's job to put these guys in a position to succeed. If you're not going to pull a guy off the field when he's struggling, then you have to help him. The same way Napier always talks about helping Mertz. Like he's sitting there. There were a couple of games. I think it was the Kentucky games. Like, you know, he's talking about Mertz. He's like, well, we, it's not just the quarterback. Sometimes it's all the people around him. I'm like, it's not just the right tackle. Sometimes it's all the people <laughs> around him, right? The same excuse can be used or the same reasoning can be used there as well. And the fact that, you know, you said Georgia went to the bench, said, we're not going to let Trey Wilson beat us, came back out on the field and shut him down for the most part. Well, what was the counter? What was yeah. the adjustment that Florida made on the other side? And maybe yeah, that's you best different. Because you could best bet it. As much of a focus as you made, Wilson, on that first drive, you got to think Georgia's going to go to the bench and say, okay, yeah, can we not let that happen again? And that's good point. All right, well, hey, proactive, not reactive. That's where Florida should have been. Well, and after the performance the week before, you got to imagine that Georgia came and focused on Pearsall. And all of a sudden now you've got Wilson running free and they go, all right, well, we need to readjust and not let, you know, we can't bracket Pearsall because this other guy's going to, going to drive us crazy. And so they maybe come out of that a little bit. Okay. Well, when they come out of it, well, that frees up Pearsall for stuff or, and I think this is maybe the more significant thing that frees you up for the runs up the middle. Mm -hmm. The reason they were able to get those gashes up the middle is because the Georgia defense could no longer bracket Pearsall and come up and basically say, we're going to stuff you. And Florida was able to get some stuff going on the ground. Again, offense not really the problem in this one, though the yeah. the early turnovers were were bad. I mean, it just you know, I said complete system failure for Utah and Kentucky. Kind of the same thing here, other than the opening drive and uh, you know the second and third quarters. I think I'd have to go look at my notes, but I'm pretty sure. Yes, yeah, so the second half, other than the last two drives for touchdowns when everything was decided, eleven plays for sixty nine yards. 
in the second quarter, 14 plays for 19 yards. Yeah. You ain't doing very much. Yeah. <laughs> you aren't going to be all that competitive when that's what happens there. And considering that uh, that the defense wasn't any better, it, it's just ugly, man. It's just ugly. All right, so there we go. Some questions moving forward for the Gators. It starts this week versus Arkansas, and here's Billy Napier on his initial thoughts for the Razorbacks. I've got confidence in our group relative to their attitude uh, and their approach. You know, I think the, the key thing for us here is what matters most today. You know, I think regardless of what's happened in the past, um, I do think that this is a group, every single detail – this week, you know, really challenging all parts of the organization to do their best work. You know, we need to be uh, operating at our best, uh, firing on all cylinders. We need to lead our people. We need to impact our people um, and get consumed with preparing for this game. You know, I do think Arkansas, although their record uh, doesn't reflect it. They've been in every football game. This is a game that's lost a lot of close games. Uh, I do think that they've played really good defense uh, for the most part. And um, I know offensively they've made a change. I know Sam Pittman personally, and I have a ton of respect for him as a coach and a, and a man. Um, and I do think they're a lot closer than their record indicates. So this will be a challenge. And what do you see so far from that offense? Yeah, no, I think I think it's a big part of the story this week relative to the prep. You know, um, you know they made a change in the offseason. Uh, obviously, Kendall made a move to go to TCU, and then they brought Dan in, and that was a wholesale change, right? So, um, you know, Coach Guyton will be calling it this week, and he has experience with Kendall in the past. Certainly played that quarterback at Ohio State. So, um, you know, what flavor do we get? You know, I think ultimately with an open date, I think that magnifies that a little bit. But Coach Pittman's an offensive line coach. Uh, his teams are tough. Uh, and certainly I think there'll be an element of that. He'll have some imprint on the offense. Um, so, you know, I do think that that's an element of the game. And I think ultimately for us, we're going to have to find the right balance of prep in terms of what we expose the players to, but also being ready to adjust within the game. All right, Will, Billy Napier brought up all those close games for Arkansas. Two and six on the season. Started with a 56-13 win over Western Carolina, 28-6 win over Kent State, and then starts the string of six straight losses for Arkansas, all within one score. Six straight losses, Six straight one-score losses, uh, 38-31 versus BYU. A three-point loss at LSU, 34-22. No, never mind, besides Texas A&M. Texas A&M was one uh, that uh, was not part of the uh, one-score games. 34-22, Texas A&M. Uh, then a 27-20 loss to Ole Miss, 24-21 to Alabama, 7-3 to Mississippi State in their last game. Will, the two best teams in the West, LSU and Alabama, Combined six-point loss there for Arkansas. So those, both of those games on the road as well. They're going to be coming to Gainesville this week. So, hey, look, yeah, it might be six straight losses, Will, but this is not your typical six straight right here. I mean, they've played every team tough. They're coming off of a bye week. They have some changes being there, uh, be, being made there. Um, as, he, as Billy Napier said, Guyton comes in as the OC now. Very similar to Kendall Bryles, who was there before. So you can best bet what – 
they were running last year, a lot of similarity to that. Why they ever hired Dan Enos in the first place, I would never understand. Uh, but I didn't like that hire. It kind of turned out that way. But, well, I mean, yeah, they may be a two and six and coming off of three or six straight losses, but this is going to be a tough game for the Gators. Well, look, South Carolina's two and six right now. Florida just barely squeaked by them. So you you can't take anybody for granted. And like you said, I mean, all those close games, the fact that they've all gone against Arkansas, those tend to even out over the course of a year. Now, um, sometimes you just have some bad luck. Sometimes those don't turn out the way they are. The Alabama game was a one-score game, but Alabama pretty much dominated that one and then kind of shifted into neutral. And then when they tried to hit the gas, couldn't really do it. LSU can't stop anybody, so giving up 31 points points to Arkansas, maybe not that big a deal. Florida can't stop anybody right now either. Well, I I agree. (laughs) And, and, you know, Mississippi State, I think, is the bad one. That 7-3 loss to Mississippi State is the one where you're like, ah, that probably should have been the one you guys were able to – really able to pull out you know it'll be interesting because when florida got rid of todd grantham and uh, and john hevesy i think we all sort of thought we'd get a bump and we didn't there was no bump and i think the question will be was enos a sacrificial lamb where where Pittman had to get rid of him but the players are still bought into Pittman, or are the players no longer bought into Pittman? and that's sort of the question if they're still bought into Pittman, i think given what you just showed about their road the, their road, they're not going to be intimidated coming to the swamp, right? After being at LSU and at Alabama, I think Florida is a better venue than both of those places. But still, it's it's not it's it's not so much better a venue that that they've never seen this before, never been able to communicate on the road, anything like that. But again, I think it comes back to motivation. At two and six, how motivated are you? Your offensive coordinator just got fired. How bought into the how bought into the head coach are you? You just lost seven to three to Mississippi State, which to me sort of suggests that you know there are people with their own agendas going on inside the locker room, and now you just fired the offensive coordinator. But you've had two weeks to sort of maybe right the ship. And the question is, are they going to come out and just say, "Look, let's let's let it loose and have some fun"? Sometimes those are the most dangerous teams. You think about twenty twenty. When LSU came into the swamp and and Florida decided to sit Kyle Pitts, um, maybe because of an injury and maybe not, um, and you know the fog rolls in, weird stuff happens, and all of a sudden Florida's on the losing end of a game that they really should have won. Um, you know there are no gimmies in the SEC. That's one of the problems <laughs> with, with with being teams in the SEC. There just aren't any gimmies. So Florida's going to show up. They're going to play pretty well. It's an interesting dichotomy in styles. I mean. Arkansas is 128th in yards per play. Florida's 112th in yards per play allowed. So, so weakness on weakness right there. Mm-hmm. Florida's 53rd in yards per play gained, and Arkansas is 59th in yards per play allowed. So strength versus strength, That's at least for the two teams. So statistically, the teams are basically equivalent in terms of the bad units facing the bad unit and the average units facing the average unit. And that's going to be the question. To me, I think it's actually going to be a question of which bad unit steps up. That mm-hmm. with, you know, is the Arkansas offense going to be able to make inroads against the Florida defense, or is the Florida defense going to be able to make inroads against a bad Arkansas offense? Because look, you can call whatever plays Kendall Riles was calling two years ago. Right. If the offensive line can't block, it doesn't matter. And we just learned that this past week with Florida against Georgia. I'm sure they yeah. had some great play calls going on out in the out in the you know 10, 15, 20 yards down the field. Didn't matter. Every time Mertz dropped back, he was getting drilled. So. Um, you know, you, you're only as good as your offensive line unless they have a plan to fix that offensive line. They're probably going to struggle, assuming Florida's defense can get pressure. So I just look at this one and I go, that weakness on weakness is the place where you really got to focus. I think we'll know 
10 minutes into the game, given the kind of penetration, the kind of pressure, the kind of push Florida's defensive line is able to get or not able to get. We'll tell you a lot about who's going to win this game right off the bat. And, I, and I'll still go to quarterback too, Will. I mean, I, I know that's probably the easiest place to go, but the the way I'll come around on this is coming into the season, I don't think anybody out there besides Gator fans probably were putting Graham Mertz ahead of K.J. Jefferson, but here we are coming into this game. Graham Mertz is the better quarterback. Graham Mertz has been the better quarterback all season here. Hopefully that pays off for Florida as well. Um, you know, Florida's offensive line has inconsistent as they have been this year. Not this bad. They are not Arkansas level bad. I mean, this is a terrible offensive line, and which is crazy, which is crazy given Sam Pittman's reputation and uh, of developing and, and, and the, the the offensive line and what Josh Braun is there now as well. I think it's uh, your know, former Florida offensive lineman is at Arkansas, so we'll see a familiar face uh, along the uh, the Arkansas offensive line. I mean, look, I'm not in tune with Arkansas that much. I'm assuming he's playing for him uh, right, right now. If he's injured or anything like that, I'm sure I'll, I'll check into that this week. But there's a familiar face there. But their offensive line stinks. Uh, and it is time for a, you know, if if, if there is a get-right game, it should be this one and something that sets you up for the rest of the season. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Florida needs this one in a really, really bad way. It's they crazy to call a this a must-win, but in in a, in a lot of ways it is. Well, and you know the interesting thing is somebody asked today during the press conference about the importance of the bowl practices and things mm-hmm. like that. And Napier was sort of like, yeah, it's important, but that's not really what we're thinking about. Um, eh, I'm not sure I completely believe that. Cause, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, the thing I'm thinking about when it comes to bowl practices is I, I can't remember who, where I read this or where I saw it, but there's a potential that DJ Lagway could show up for the bowl practices. Oh, exactly. And, yep. and if you're sitting there telling me that the guy who might be the future of the position can get an extra month and a half worth of practices in before a bowl game. And to be honest, I kind of want to see Florida actually show up like they want to play in a bowl game. That'd be kind of nice. Like whether they win or not, to show up and and yeah. pretend like they want to be there, be kind of fun, like to have that experience as well. So, I think you know there there's some stuff that, and this is the thing is that this is only fun if you're like actually seeing the climb, and part of that mm-hmm. climb is is not laying an egg against a team you shouldn't, and they laid an egg last year against Vanderbilt, and they really shouldn't have laid that egg last year. I would say that if you look at where Florida sits and where they've sort of laid the eggs this year. Like you could say that probably they should have lost to Tennessee given both teams' resumes at this point. I think for Kentucky, you'd say, yeah, probably should have lost to them given resumes. Georgia, absolutely should have lost to them. Utah, yeah, probably should have lost to them too. So, um, you know, I look at it and I go, given the resumes of where the teams sit right now, they haven't necessarily performed. They haven't performed like way above expectation, but they haven't performed way below expectation. This Arkansas game is one where if they drop it, I'll say, yeah, they perform way below expectation. This is one Napier's got to get. This is fairly similar to that Vanderbilt game last year where they should have some major advantages. They're at home. You can't lose home games to inferior teams. So go kick their butt in the black jerseys so we get to wear them again. (laughs) Yeah, blackout here. I mean, look, I I, I even had to to join in uh, right here. The, with the blackout theme for the week. But, yeah, noon game, ESPN2, Arkansas. Uh, we did get to hear uh, next week's game. CBS is using their option, Will, their, their six-day option. So they want to see the result of uh, maybe Florida, Arkansas a bit this week. They want to see the specifically the results of LSU and Alabama and Missouri and Georgia before they make their decision between where they're going to place Florida, LSU, uh, and we'll see what time that game is. It'll either be 3.30 on CBS 
7 o'clock on ESPN or 7.30 SEC Network. Oh, look at that memory. There we go. Uh, so... <laughs> um, there we go. So we'll have to wait. We'll have to wait about a week uh, from 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 record this uh, to find out when Florida. Sometimes they'll release it on uh, you know Saturday night, but probably have to look at, look for it next Sunday of uh, when Florida and LSU are. So two options for a night game in Baton Rouge, Will. Uh, but look, I think if LSU beats Alabama this coming up weekend, you're probably looking at a three thirty game. Uh, Georgia Ole Miss is the other option uh, that week as well. That's the the other big option. So. Uh, we'll see. We'll see where it goes, but uh, something to keep an eye out for next week. But hopefully, hopefully Florida plays a part in that too and does their job this week uh, as well. Well, you didn't even talk about two weeks from now when they're playing Missouri. Like they need this Arkansas game just so it's not an eleven o'clock start there when they're <laughs> playing Missouri because we all know how those games go when they're playing eleven o'clock in Missouri. So keep keep winning, keep winning these games, and all of a sudden that's a prime time game there in, in Columbia because uh, I don't even know if we want know. that either. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, if, if it's a primetime game, probably means you beat Arkansas and LSU, so maybe we should take it. <laughs> it could be that still. It could be, still be that SEC Network night game. So even with a loss to LSU, but hopefully, hopefully not. Hopefully, I mean, hey, we we do catch LSU the week after they play Alabama, so hopefully there's a a little bit of an inroad there. They're going to be up for that. There, look, there's two ways to take that. Um, they get up and lose. They may be licking their wounds. They get up and win. They're right away of a momentum. Uh, so we'll, we'll, look, it can go both ways a week after you play a, a big game. So for Florida, big game last week versus Georgia. Hopefully no letdown this week versus Arkansas. Yeah, I hope so. Certainly, uh, I think we'll all be watching this one. This is one of those where before the season, you sort of pencil it in as a W. Yeah. Maybe not in pin, but at least you pencil it in yeah, as a W. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to be way more apprehensive before kickoff than I would have thought I would have been before the season against Arkansas. I don't like There's the way some- it sets up. I- I'm going to pick Florida to win. I'll get, hey, get that away. But man, I do not like the way this is setting up. Well, five and a half point favorites. But when you look at the ESPN analytics, they have it as a 51 49 picking Florida's Ooh. advantage. So it's it's uh, there's some analytics reasons that people are looking at Arkansas and going, eh, you know, like maybe we should uh, maybe we should at least give them a second look. So hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully, look, typically when your quarterback's worse and your offensive line is worse, you're going to struggle to win games. Um, and I think that's probably why you're picking Florida, probably why I will as well. But I want to take a little bit deeper look at the film, understand why K.J. Jefferson's uh, struggling before I, before I go too deep into it. <laughs> all right, all right. That's what you can look for later this week on Read and Reaction. Will's preview of Florida and Arkansas. Him and Nick Newton to be live on YouTube or on YouTube this week for Stand Up and Holler right there on their YouTube channel. You can find Will on social media at Will Miles SEC. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on social media at Gator Dave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thank you for joining us on this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs>